This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. We are going to talk about accents for a little bit because, as I said off the top, it seems to me that we don't have an accent in Southern Ontario, and the reason is because we just talk like we talk. And yet there is a new study that is being done that would actually suggest that I am almost certainly wrong, that we do have some kind of accent. If we were to go somewhere else in the world, that perhaps somebody who's paying attention would be able to narrow it down and say, you guys, you must be from the Southern Ontario region or maybe from the Toronto region if they want to be more specific. Well, the guy who's doing the study right now, his name is Michael Iannozzi, who is a linguist at Western University, and he is in the process of studying the accents of Southern Ontario. He joins me now. Michael, thanks for doing this tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Let's, let's start with that point that I made right off the top. It does surprise me because we don't think of it. But do we, in fact, in Southern Ontario have an accent? Yeah, I think the, the accent that we have is probably maybe less pronounced than one you would be thinking of. But yeah, there's definitely an accent that is specific to the region. Okay, so when I talk about people in the States and they think about Canadians broadly, they, you know, they always say, well, you say, instead of about, you say about, and yeah. we say a, and you know, there's some other things we say. Uh, but what are, what are some of the other things? If we were talking about a Southern Ontario accent, I know I, this study has just begun to take shape, but in the early stages, what are the things, what are some of the things that would stand out as things we would say that might make someone realize there's an accent there? Yeah, I think the... the the way you pronounce things would be one thing, but the pronunciation is probably not that different than other regions, which is why maybe you would not think that you have an accent, but it's more the terms and the way you would structure your sentences that would be specific to the region. Okay, so give me an example. What would be something that would be um, that would be unique? Um, one that was I didn't really think of as being that unique, but the reaction from people when I've told them about it has been quite strong was across, with a T at the end, so she's sitting across from me. Okay, so so we're at, we're adding a T without even realizing we're doing it. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I never really thought of that as being particularly dialectal or um, vernacular. Cause it's okay. very normal sounding to me, but apparently, yeah, there's provoked a strong reaction. And you know what's really funny about that is even when you say it, it's not dawning on me that we do it. It doesn't sound wrong when you say it, but I'm sure for other people who don't say that, that would really stand out. Yes, yeah, it's something that sort of. Uh, we get strong reactions of people saying it drives them crazy, or it's like one of the particular pet peeves, and I didn't even notice it was a thing. So, uh, another one that you point out that I find really funny because again, it doesn't sound wrong to me. Like even when we say this is an accent kind of thing, it doesn't sound odd to me. It's where you would wash your hands. Yeah, the zinc. The zinc. The zinc. Yeah, yeah. That we we kind of make it a Z sounding almost as opposed to an S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, yeah, and the distinction there, if you're talking in a quick sentence, you might not catch it, but it's something that if you have never heard that before, it would stand out to you. Is that one of the things that, and we'll go to a few more of these in a second, but is that one of the things that makes this, because if I was talking to you slowly and methodically, I don't know if I would actually say it that way, but if when I talk in a conversational speed, which is quite quickly generally, that's when these yeah. things happen. Yeah, it tends to be, so every time you're talking, you're sort of performing a certain way, and it's not um, fake or phony, it's just that you're always talking in a certain way based on who you're talking to, and when I'm talking right now to you, I'm trying to make sure I really enunciate and say things carefully because I'm on a radio, And but when I'm talking to my friends at the bar, for example, I might drop a lot more sounds and put sounds together, and that's when you start to catch these things, yeah. Dropping a lot of Gs, perhaps, at the end of I-N-G words? Well, yeah. 
Yeah, and there's sort of two levels of that. Dropping it on the end of a verb is something that's probably in almost everyone's vernacular, saying something like going instead of going. But when you start to say something like, oh, it fell off the railing instead of railing, or um, those kind of things, when it starts being on nouns, that's something that tends to catch people's ear more than if it's okay. on a verb. Um, here's another one that when I saw this, I, I loved this because this is one of the ones that actually does really strike me that we do, but it, I didn't realize that we were unique in doing this. What's the day that comes before Sunday? Oh, Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. There's sort of varying degrees of pronouncing that with, you have a T, U, R, and then you can just have the T and then a D and then, yeah, you can have many different ways of pronouncing that. Yeah. Saturday. We don't even necessarily say the T. It sort of blends from the A to the U. Yeah, it becomes sort of like a sound you would say between with the T and the word city. It's just sort of an uh sound. All right, and and I'll tell you another one that I didn't even see in your notes, but I, I'll tell you what one of the, the one of the things that I one of the ways you can always tell if someone is not from around here is when they say, "Oh, I'm going to go visit Toronto." Yeah. Toronto, so yeah. you know, we 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 blend it. It's Toronto. It, it's yeah. it all is sort of one slurred together word that I guess would. Um, would tell immediately. You know immediately if someone's from around here based on how they say the name of that city. Yeah, place names are a big example of that. I met someone from Saskatchewan once, and I said Saskatchewan, and she said, no, we say Saskatchewan. Calgary's another one. Um, and almost all places have a place name that they can tell based on how you're pronouncing whether you're from the area. Yeah, Newfoundland yeah. is not Newfoundland. Yeah. It's Newfoundland. Yeah. And, and it's not even Newfoundland. It's Newfoundland if you're if yeah. you're from there. Yeah, yeah. Right, so is this, is this, are these accents or these dialects or these whatever you want to call it, are they unique to Southern Ontario or are they unique to most parts of Canada? I think the, the, the thing that makes a dialect unique to a certain area is not any specific feature that you would only find in that area. That's quite rare to find something that's only in one place. It's the mixture and the way of using them and the rates of using them. So if someone says something um, like using certain words in a certain way, maybe that's done elsewhere, but it's done in a different way or different frequency or in a different style. So it's the mix that makes an area unique. Okay, okay, and th- and that makes sense because again, I can think and I, and I used examples as I was leading into this of places in the states, but even across this country, I can if I hear someone talking who is from Newfoundland or from the Ottawa Valley or from way up north, those are those are accents that you can pick up and you recognize. Again, and it's very, it's very clear where those are from. Yes, yeah, and that's sort of the example you gave at the top about the oot and the boot. If you actually listen to someone from Northern Scotland, that's that sounds quite even to us like oot and a boot. And to an American, they would say that's in both places, but to us, it would sound more Scottish. Okay, so it just depends on where you're coming from. Yeah. So is it? Does it just go back then that? because we have Scottish and Irish and English and Polish and whatever other settlers? I mean, is this where this comes from? How, how, how does an accent actually start to develop? Do we know where it comes from? Yeah, so you can never know exactly where something is coming from, but it's usually the mixing of people and also who's in the dominant position in that group. So if it's a community started by Scottish settlers and they were always the ones in charge of the town, then that way of speaking would have been seen as more... Um, for new people to come to the town, they'd want to aim to sound that way because that was the um, accent of power. So that one would have more influence on shaping the dialect. Hmm. Interesting because, you know, when you say, well, it could be just the Scottish settlers that came here. Well, there's a lot of places in the world that had hmm. Scottish settlers and they don't all sound like us. So, so what you're saying is whichever is the dominant people group would be the one that directs or dictates the accent that would develop. Yeah, because it would be Scottish 
that would settle in an area where they wouldn't be the dominant group and their um, dialect features wouldn't catch on in that area in the same way. I hadn't ever thought of this, but is, does that help explain in some ways? I have a friend who I grew up with in Toronto, and uh, she was 100% Canadian, had lived here all of her life, and when she got married at 24 or 25, she moved to Scotland and now lives, I mean, in the most Scottish part of Scotland, right on the banks of Loch Ness. It, you couldn't be in a more Scottish area. And last summer I saw her for the first time in about 15 or 20 years, and you could not tell if you did not know her that she had ever spent a day in Canada. She had yeah. completely absorbed. So is it, again, just because wherever you are, that's the dominant tongue, that's the dominant accent, you will pick that up no matter where you're from? Yeah, and it also depends sort of on um, how you identify yourself. So if she's living somewhere where no one else has a Canadian accent or anything but a Scottish accent, it will be um, very difficult for her to even find ways of reinforcing her Canadian accent. She's only ever going to hear the Scottish one. And you find that with immigrant groups in Canada or in any country, if they're fully committed, their full social group and everyone they talk to is um, native-born Canadian, then they'll start to pick up, the, lose their native tongue accent quicker than if they stick in a community where they can keep their language up all the time and they might not lose their accent as quickly. Yeah, because, I mean, you even see this with, with university students or people who go overseas for a, a year or something. They come back, they go to Australia, they come back, and there's Australian now tinged into their talk. Yeah, yeah, and I actually, I picked that up from just watching British TV shows, and I will sometimes say Renaissance instead of Renaissance, <laughs> and I, I get, just get looks all the time because it's just something you pick up and you change it, and then if it's, yeah, it becomes part of your speech. You know, Michael, that's a really other interesting point, though. I wonder how much of this and what we're talking about specifically with Canadianism or with Southern Ontarioism, I guess, for lack of a better term, is there any suggestion that some of this would come from the mass media? That if there is a particular anchorman on TV, now it happens less because we have so many TV channels, but back in the day when there was one or two news shows at night and so everybody watched, if that person had a particular way of saying something, would people emulate that? I mean, I look back to the 80s or the early 80s when, and this is probably way before your time, but when Bob and Doug McKenzie were on SCTV making fun of the Canadian accent. Yeah. And I do think some people actually played on that and it had an effect on the broader accent. Yeah, and I think that, so the important thing to keep in mind is when the radio came out, there was a big fear among people that everyone would start sounding like the radio. And when the television came out, it was the same. And it's never been true in the sense that you don't pick up and sound like the way that people do on the radio, except for maybe using a term. So if Bob and Doug McKenzie said hoser a lot, you might start using that because it's something you notice and can use. But you don't tend to change the way you pronounce words um, or you're sort of like the very center of your dialect based on the television because it's not interactive. Um, you tend to learn the language and the dialect from people that are basically your height. So if you're three, you're going to learn the accent of three-year-olds. Otherwise, the children of immigrants would pick up accents that they don't have. And that would then suggest also that if you do have an accent, your children would probably follow that accent to some degree or no. Or is it depending on how, if they're not around you as much, because again, it's the dominant person. So if they're in school, they'll pick up the, the, the way of talking of the average people. Yeah. They're going to want to try to blend in with their friends and make friends in kindergarten or grade one or whatever. And that's why usually the children of immigrants don't have much of an accent because they learn it from the people that are basically their height the other four-year-olds and the ones they're wanting to be friends with. It's, it's really interesting because I, I suppose that you could extend this and say if a child was with parents who may have even had a speech impediment or something, I wonder if that, a, a stutter, would they pick up on a stutter 
until they um, went off to school and, and, and were then with a dominant group that didn't stutter? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think... Um, that would be difficult. I don't know that that's been done. That would be something that would have to be... Because that's a very small proportion of people to get a study that you could replicate. Sure, that would be difficult. sure. Yeah. How do you study something like this? Because... I mean, is it just you sitting there and listening to a bunch of people talking and then trying to pick up the little hints, or is there some actual way you can study accent? Um, no, so, it, I mean, it's not that different from that. Basically, I would um, find people in talking to me. I come over to their kitchen or somewhere they're comfortable speaking with me, um, and we just sit and have a conversation. We sit down, and I have, I have some pre-planned questions, but the goal is to, after you get them mic'd up and sign the consent form, to get them to forget about those things as best as possible. And like you said earlier, talk as naturally and putting the words together and calmly as if they were in a bar, because that's what you're trying to get to. So once you do that, you get those interviews, then you would go back to the computer lab and start typing out what they're saying. Because that's one other really difficult thing I would think, Michael, and that is if you come to my house and you tell me that you are studying my accent... I'm either going to be really self-conscious to not have one, or I'm going to really play it up, I would think. It's really hard, I would think, to get people to talk in a completely natural way when they know they're being studied. Yeah, and generally the way of dealing with that is the first 10 minutes you usually know they're very self-conscious still. Okay. As you start to get them to talk about things that they start to be more comfortable with, or, um, I mean, I can say for myself on the radio, the first minute I'm always, I'm, I was quite nervous right now, and now I'm sort of, Finding, finding myself feeling calmer. And I think that's something that with these interviews, the first 10 minutes, they're usually very, very nervous. And after that, they start to get calm. And as you get them to talk about things that they get invested in, they start to focus on what they're talking about, not how they're talking. One other one, and just before I let you go, one other one that's on your list that I find really funny because, again, it never dawned on me that we say it like this until I saw it written down. There was a story written about you, which is where I'm getting some of these. Um, mm-hmm. Never dawned on me that we around here, when we talk about the drink that you get from a cow that we say milk, almost like it's with an E as opposed to a milk where it's yeah. <laughs> with an, and as soon as I saw this, I started chuckling because I thought, you know what? Yeah, we, we actually do say it that way. Yeah. And there's some, there's some hypotheses that that's actually maybe from a uh, Dutch pronunciation that sort of was picked up. And um, you also hear that sometimes with pillow, pillow instead of pillow. Um, yeah. It's quite common to say milk instead of milk. It is, uh, you know, everyone listening right now, I guarantee you, Michael, is going to be spending the rest of their evening listening to people they're with to hear if there's an accent, if there's anything they're saying that is a little odd or a little funny. And I'm sure that happens every time you talk to someone that they spend the next day going, I got to listen to people. I got to hear if I'm just speaking weird or if this is everybody. Yeah. The one that sort of caught people is saying, yeah, no, they all think that they don't say that. And then as soon as you point it out to them the next day, they're telling you they hear it everywhere. Yeah. Which is probably the least sensitive, sensible line that we would possibly ever say. You've got, you've got an opposite right off the bat when you answer, yeah, no. Yeah, I, th- I think it's very Canadian, though, because it's a way of disagreeing, <laughs> but still starting out agreeing. And very polite. It's a very polite yeah, way to I disagree. Like yeah, it's yeah. very friendly, uh, as opposed to some other ways. Go, yeah, you're just an idiot, so qu- yeah. be quiet. Um, listen, Michael Iannozzi, it's a really interesting thing. I'm hoping that once, I know you're only getting going into this. I'm hoping that one, when you're done this, we can get you back on and get a, a real, even broader sense of what you were able to find out about this. Cause it's, I th- I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a great idea. And I think it's something that we're not even aware of that we're doing, which is what makes it fun because we're just yeah. completely oblivious to the fact that we too have an accent. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been one of the things is sort of showing them that everyone does and that there's nothing wrong with it. Michael Iannozzi from Western University. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much. It is um, 
think about what you say that may be a little odd. Because again, when I got when I was thinking about talking to Michael today, I really was having a hard time thinking of something that sounded accenty that I say. And I don't know, and maybe, you know, maybe this would be a good question to ask somebody. I don't know if you go down to the deep South, to Georgia, to, you know, Atlanta, to South Carolina, do you you think they know they have an accent? Do you think they're aware they have an accent? I mean, it's an accent to us, but, or is it just, see, I don't think they do. I think that's just the way they talk. I think if you go to Boston, to Boston, I, I think that's. That's very natural. I don't think they would think, oh, we're talking with a Boston accent. So we don't think we do too. I, I, it's a fast, it's a really interesting topic because you never think it's always the other person that's weird. It's always the other person that's doing something different, but maybe it's us. You're listening to the Scott Radley show weeknights from seven to nine on AM 900 CHML. So the next few minutes, I am not going to change the planet, but I got to tell you, there's been a bunch of stories that I've pulled aside over the last few days that I've had gathering up that I've wanted to get to and just haven't found an opportunity. And I thought we're going to just do them right now because these are, these are some terrific, tremendous things that we have, that I've stumbled upon that deserve a little bit of airtime. I got to be honest with you. They are just great stories that. It's amazing that some of the things that some of the things that happen in our world that they could actually be true. Starting with number one, do you know what the Darwin Awards are? I'm assuming most of you know what the Darwin Awards are. They're not actually a real award, but it is an honorary thing that is bestowed upon people who, through incredible stupidity, have put their life at risk or quite frankly caused an accident that ended their life. Now, we're not laughing at their tragedy, but when you follow the Darwin Awards, you are laughing at the absolute inanity of the decision-making that would lead to such situations. Now, this story out of Centralia, Washington, does not end in a death, thankfully, or does not even end necessarily in serious bodily harm. It does, however, speak to a level of stupidity that is almost difficult to fathom. A guy in an apartment building had a cockroach problem. (laughs) It's not the first time. Lots of people. When I was, before I was married, living in Hamilton, I lived in an apartment that had cockroaches. It's not a pleasant thing. I understand. So you're sitting there going, okay, how am I going to get rid of these cockroaches? Well, there are a variety of ways. You can buy sprays at Home Depot. You can probably buy traps. You can clean up your garbage. Although where I was living, it was from the neighbor's apartment, but nonetheless, it was coming up through the pipes. But there are a variety of ways that you can try and get rid of your cockroach problem. This guy came up with the one way that you would probably not want to attempt in an apartment building. Up. KOMO-TV reports that fire crews were called to the apartment after receiving report of a commercial structure fire because he decided to use a homemade (laughs) flamethrower. 
to burn away the cockroaches. Of course, who could possibly have imagined that in an apartment building, that if you use a flamethrower, that maybe something odd untoward could happen and maybe something else could catch fire. But yes, he, he decided to, um, a preliminary investigation found that he had built himself a homemade fabricated flamethrower and was using that in order to get rid of all of his bugs. <laughs> the last line of the story, uh, it's not clear whether any cockroaches were actually killed in the process. So yes, he managed to nearly burn down the building, but it's really not clear whether it solved the problem. I love that story. Next up on the list, here is your, your, well, I mean, it's a good news story. Depending on your sensitivities and sensibilities, it might be a good news, bad news story. But again, we have a situation where something is going wrong. This is in, um, this is in Australia. There were a bunch of boaters, uh, sailboaters racing in an annual regatta. Not like a world-class kind of thing, just a local little race that was going on. And it was a particularly windy day, apparently, the other day. And uh, so as the boats are going by Lady Bay Beach, I don't know where that is. It's somewhere between Sydney and Hobart. That's all I know because that's the race, the Sydney to Hobart race. They're going by Lady Bay Beach. And one of the sailboats who uh, was carrying some kids. So it was, I'm just trying to see if they, uh, yes, there were, sorry, there were, um, there was a woman and a child on the boat and things got a little bit out of control. It was very windy and the sailboat got out of control. And I'm assuming the, it was a child. So I'm assuming the woman was, uh, steering or controlling this boat and she lost control and the boat went out of control and, and was getting into deep trouble. And so a group of eyewitnesses who were sitting on Lady Bay Beach rushed into the water to save this child and this woman, which is a great story, right? I mean, what could be better than this? Well, here's the twist. Uh, Lady Bay Beach is a nude beach in Australia. <laughs> so they are flailing around in their sailboat trying to keep it from capsizing and suddenly there is a horde of nude people racing towards them in the water to pull them to safety. Lovely of the people who were standing by to jump in and, and take part and, and help out. You don't want to just be a bystander and let people drown. Uh, but a little awkward perhaps, especially if, you know, if she's worried about her what her kid might have seen. But yes, it, it is, um, if you're going to be rescued in Australia and you have some hangups or some qualms perhaps about nudity, Lady Bay Beach is not the place to capsize your boat in difficult weather. Um, by the way, here, here's full marks to the nudists though, because apparently the incident was witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of spectators and it was only the nude ones that raced into the water to save this to these two people. I don't know if that's because the others were worried their clothes were going to get wet or if it's just that as a rule, nudists tend to be nicer people. You can decide among yourselves, which is the case. Next up. Now this, this, this actually ties into clothing as well in a, in a weird way. This, um, this comes, this is from the, uh, the newspaper, the, uh, the independent over in Britain. 
And so uh, when they refer to Halifax, I believe there must be a Halifax overseas. I don't believe this was a Canadian story, but it maybe it was. It's in Halifax, wherever Halifax is. And a woman was, um, she went into a McDonald's to buy a meal and was moved, was, was touched by the sight of the guy who was standing next to her, who was a kind of filthy, kind of rundown looking homeless guy who, you know, he was sitting at the, apparently he was sitting at a table and all he had was a little eating some ketchup, she saw, she said from the ketchup dispenser. He was a guy who was, he was in a tough way. He didn't have a home, didn't have clean clothes, hadn't had a shower in a long time, probably hadn't eaten a meal in a long time. And so she was, she was very kind to this man. This woman was very compassionate and kind. And when she went up to the counter, she bought him a meal so that he would have something to eat. And then when it was all done, she took it over to his table. Well, here's the problem. (laughs) Dude wasn't homeless. (laughs) He was waiting for his meal to come. Says something. If you are going out in town and people are confusing you with a homeless person who has not showered in weeks, you might want to reconsider your wardrobe choices and your cleanliness. She, of course, feels awful (laughs) that she had misidentified this person as as a homeless man. But again, if, if you're, if you are being confused with, with someone who is completely without money, without cleanliness, without whatever, rethink your, um, may, maybe bump up the number of showers and, and laundry times you take in a week. Anyway, I found that. So again, nice, nice story. Like the nudist doing something nice, just, you know, little awkward. Now here's the, here's the big one today because This one, I watched the video of this one today, and this goes back to our Darwin Awards idea. This is self-inflicted stupidity. Self-inflicted, is moronity a word? I don't know. But you probably are aware that there are people out there who make a living off YouTube. They, they, They make videos, they... Do whatever. And I don't know how, I don't know how it works. Luke, do you know how it works that people actually make money off YouTube? I mean, anytime anyone that I know posts something on YouTube, it just goes up there and it gets a couple hundred views and that's the end of it. But some people can get like millions of views and somehow they get money for it. I don't know how it works. Anyway, there's this dude who does this and he is a YouTube celebrity. Again, the thought, anyone being called a YouTube celebrity to me is sort of ridiculous. But this is, this guy is a YouTube celebrity and he makes videos on YouTube and the difficulty with this, and there are some actual, there are some people who do regular YouTube things who have big audiences who do some really interesting stuff. There's one guy, and I mean, you may think it's interesting or you may think it's insane. You may think it's crazy. You may think it's horrible, whatever. A guy named Pete Sherwinsky, who's a Mac grad, who's one of the leading competitive eaters in the world. He does some stuff on there. That's really interesting. Furious Pete is his name. You may not be a big fan of competitive eating, but it, nonetheless, it's interesting. This guy 
decided on this particular occasion that he was going to, he had to up the ante a little bit because you know what? I mean, there's a lot of people now trying to get your attention on the internet. So how am I going to get people to actually spend three or four, maybe five minutes watching my video so I get enough clicks and enough watches so that I can actually make some money on YouTube? What can I do that would stand out? that would really make people stand up and take note and then send this off to their friends and maybe tell their friends, hey, you got to watch this video. Well, I tell you one way to do it. Fill your bathtub with 1,250 bottles of the hottest hot sauce you can find. (laughs) And then submerge yourself in the hot sauce. And we're not talking like Frank's Red Hot, which isn't really all that hot. It's, you know, it's spicy, but it's not hot. We're talking about, you know, hot sauce, really hot sauce. Oh, and to full further add to the, the whole thing, he adds some of the really hot, hot, hot red chili peppers to float around in the hot sauce while he's in there. So what do you think could possibly go wrong with this? Well, let me... <laughs> I'm going to try and be as delicate as I can here. Human beings have orifices. (laughs) And, you know, they are places that no hot sauce should ever go. (laughs) And I don't care how tightly you close your eyes or your mouth or plug your nose. There are still some openings in the human body that can permeated by flaming hot hot sauce, despite your best wishes. (laughs) I I don't think I need to say any more. Let's just say that, first of all, he didn't close his eyes tight enough because after he dunked his head under the water, he was almost completely blind from the spice. Took him hours to be able to open his eyes again. It took him hours to be able to breathe properly again. Oh, by the way, he also took a big gulp of it on purpose and ate, a cu- ate one of the peppers before getting into the tub just to, you know, get the flames going on the inside as well. But your body does not respond well when places that are not supposed to be permeated by spices have such things on them is all we need to say. Um, it, it, it did not, as I say... Uh, did not go well. Did not go well. If you're going to, if you need to dunk yourself in something in your bathtub, like milk, yogurt, I suppose, if you really want to branch out there. I mean, I don't know why you would want to do that in the first place. I mean, water and soap seems to be the standard. But he had to do it in flaming hot hot sauce and leave himself almost blinded and unable to breathe for hours and hours and hours. Um, not something. Oh, and by the way, when it was all done, you should have seen the bathroom because you can, you imagine it was a perfectly white bathroom when it started. Then the bathtub was filled with blood red hot sauce. It honestly looked like somebody had been slaughtered in there by the end of the video. Not something you want to try. Not something you want to try. Anyway. There are so many people doing so many strange things around this world. Once in a while, you just have to take note. I mean, even though they're asking for attention, I know that. I know that. We're feeding into what they want. I know that. But sometimes it's so insane 
that even the people who do the most insane things, we'll, we'll give them what they want. We'll give them a little attention because, you know, they managed to reach that level of craziness that you just, you can't look away. Don't spend your evening tonight dunking yourself in 1,250 bottles of hot sauce. Just a little piece of advice. And if you have cockroaches, do not fabricate a homemade flamethrower to get rid of them in your house. Both very, very, very bad ideas. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Sunday night, the school, the football team is kicking off their new season. Two of the key guys, two of the guys who... Man, if you're going to build a team, you might want to start around these two guys. Uh, receiver Danny Vandervoort and quarterback Asher Hastings, or I should say record-setting receiver Danny Vandervoort and record-setting quarterback Asher Hastings. Both of them set huge records last year. They both join me now. Guys, thanks for doing this tonight. Uh, no problem. Thank you for having us. I, I am trusting that you guys actually got the night off and we're not out trying to practice in the uh, tropical storm whatever. No, we... Uh I think Coach Knox wanted to make it a point to have us uh, practice, so we uh, we went as far as we can, and we finished like uh, like forty five minutes short, but we were out there for a good majority of it. While it was coming down at full at full strength. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We saw lighting in the distance, and we stopped for about twenty minutes, and then um, came back out half an hour later and continued practice. But um, yeah, unfortunately, Asher's phone died, and uh, he was not able to make it. No, I'm here. I'm here. I made it, Danny. Oh, you're in Asher? He, yeah, no, he's in. I was. Okay, okay. Asher, I was just going to ask if you're out in that, what's it like throwing medicine balls for footballs instead of regular footballs when they're wet like that? I, I think that was a comment that Danny made <laughs> at one point. He's like, I threw him one, and it was in our skelly period, so we're, we're 100% pass. And he caught one in the end zone, but he came back and threw it to the center and said, It's like catching a medicine ball. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty tough. Um, I, I know I've definitely struggled, you know, throwing it in the rain, but I mean, those things happen in games and sometimes it happens at critical moments. So, um, you know, even though it, it's difficult, you still want to practice those situations as well. So, um, kind of a blessing in disguise, I guess. Well, okay. But I am guessing that the chances of you guys playing any part of a game in weather in rain that hard at any point this year is probably pretty slim. You yeah, would hope, really, but yeah, last year, last year, uh, Guelph's homecoming, you know, on the road. Oh I yeah, the whole second quarter was a torrential downpour, um, and we were kind of backed up in our own end for that entire quarter. You know, trying to get out, uh, having issues throwing the ball. So I, you know, I'm glad we kind of got to play that scenario out tonight in practice and uh, execute a little bit better. Yes, I, I did. I do remember that now that you mention it because I was sitting in the press box. As it is, it's not really a press box. It's like a cardboard box with openings on both sides. And realizing that at work, if I let my laptop be frizzed out by rain, they don't like it too much when we blow a, you know, the laptops out. So I, Okay, so good point with the rain. Hey, just before we carry on here, Asher, I do have to ask you, you, um, Ticats beat Saskatchewan last week, 53-7. to You are a Regina guy who grew up wearing green, now living in Hamilton. Was that a good outcome or a bad outcome? I think it's a good outcome. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because things have kind of changed and shifted so much in the CFL um, that I have more connections and, and kind of ties um, on just about every every other CFL team as far as you know coaches and places I've gone to camp and friends of mine. Um, a couple friends on the riders, Tyler Crepinia, the kicker, and Spencer Moore. 
Um, but other than that, I mean, uh, you know, it's nice to see the Thai Cats win. I'm close friends with their safety, Mike Daly, and um, obviously Coach P there. So, uh, you know, I was happy to see the Thai Cats win. How about you, Danny? What was your CFL team growing up, or did you have one? Um, I was a huge Toronto guy. I grew up in Barrie, so uh, we had season tickets when I was younger. And uh, my dad was always a huge Argos fan, even when he was growing up too, so we always used to go to games. So, um, yeah, coming here to Hamilton, everyone um, is always – like bashing the Toronto and stuff, so it's kind of funny uh, hearing that, but yeah, I'm a huge <laughs> Toronto fan. All right, so I mentioned off the top, I mentioned records, because you guys set an awful lot of them last year, and one of them in particular I'm interested in, Asher, because on the you set the all-time CIS, Canadian University, single-season touchdown record. You threw 31 touchdown passes, which was a ridiculous, ridiculous number. But at on the pass, on the touchdown pass that you set that record on, the ball landed in Danny's hands, and he set the Hamilton, the McMaster single season touchdown record. Who got to keep that football? Ooh, actually, that football. Um, they, I think they intended to give it to me. They wanted to, but it's I don't know. still I'm not in sure. uh, Coach Behe's office. Oh, really? It's still in Behe's office right now. Yeah. Danny, it was a pretty remarkable season that you guys had last year. I mean, uh, so many, again, so many records, and not just you two, although you two clearly had that. And yet every person that I've talked to from the team, despite all those numbers, everybody that I talk to talks about that year sounding very disappointed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. It's not, we had an amazing team last year. Um, we expected to go farther, so... Um, yeah, it's really not really where we wanted to get to. I guess every year you want to win the V8, so um, anytime you can't even get to the, to the game, um, the disappointing year. Asher, I mean, was it that way for you? I mean, because you, again, you set some records that have stood for so, so long. Was it that same feeling of, of disappointment rather than some kind of triumph at the end of it? Um, I think definitely disappointment. You know, disappointment right now that I'm, you know, I'm on the team. Um, I'm definitely a team guy, and it's team first. And um, this is the only opportunity that I really have to, you know, enjoy being a part of a team and, and try to make a run at a Yates Cup, um, you know, as a starter or, or you know, a Vanier Cup even. So uh, records and all those things like that, I'm sure they'll be fun to, uh, you know, look back on, um, you know, later on in my life. But at, at this point, um, you know, all that matters right now is, you know, scoring as many points as possible and, you know, helping our team, uh, you know, be in a position to win games. And, uh, you know, it would be a really special thing for a group of veterans, um, you know, on our team to, to win a Yates together, or, you know, to make a run um, at the Vanier. Danny, one of the things that you guys can also do, and we've seen it with a McMaster team before, it was, you know, the few McMaster teams before, is if you guys play well, if things go well, and you also play an exciting brand of football at the same time, you can do an awful lot in this area to build up the game, to generate interest in the Canadian university game. Is that ever in the back of your mind? I I, I mean, I know you're out there to win. I know you're out there to perform, but you have an opportunity to really grow this game in this area for kids who might be coming up, but also for just football fans who may not be CIS fans naturally. Yeah, um, of course, when you're playing, um, you always want the game um, to be in your favor, but also to make it exciting, too, um, especially with McMaster. Um, that's one of the main reasons why I came here is because they love to throw the ball, and being a receiver, that's amazing. So um, giving um, an air show for any any fans or young kids that want to grow up and play receiver or quarterback, 
I'm sure coming to our games and just seeing the football in Hamilton grow um, already from when I got here is, um, has been pretty amazing. Asher, I know you're not looking past Sunday's game, but the week after that, you guys have the Labor Day doubleheader with the Ticats at Tim Hortons Field. That has to be kind of a cool thing for you guys, though, considering the possibility of what the crowd could be to see you guys play. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing uh, what the crowd's going to be. Um, I, it, I mean, it has potential to be, you know, something really, really cool and something that, like you said, is really going to grow the game, you know, in the Hamilton area. And, and um, you know, I'm hoping they're doing, you know, the best they can to, to promote it and, you know, get as many kids in the stands as possible. And, you know, uh, we're hoping for a nice sunny day and hopefully we can show a lot of, a lot of families, you know, a good time. Danny, there has been talk, and I want to ask both of you guys this, but I'll start with Danny. There's been talk on and off, and it's never been taken really seriously, but there's been a lot of talk in times in sort of just discussions that Canadian university football should consider the idea of going to a super league or having the the powerhouse schools from coast to coast play in a league where you, you, you face the Lavals, you face the Saskatchewans, you face the Montreals on a regular basis. What do you think about that idea? I mean, I know it would cost money, and, and I'm not asking you financially if it would work, but the concept, rather than going out and having the big schools crush the little schools four or five times a year, what do you think about the idea of that kind of, we'll call it a super league, of just of the powerhouse teams facing each other week after week? Yeah, I think that would, um, if, it, if it was possible, I think that would um, be really exciting. I'm um, looking forward to teams that you don't really see or don't really play, especially when... Um, we went to me and Asher went to East West this year, and you're seeing guys that you've actually never really um, heard of, and um, they're actually great players. So having the opportunity to play against um, DBs from Calgary or DBs from Laval would um, would also help to improve your game as well. Seeing different um, defenses and um, being able to travel would be a pretty exciting experience too. What do you think about that, Asher? Because I mean, it's certainly it's got to be nice to have the odd game where you don't have to kill yourself to get a win, and those exist on the schedule. But what about the idea? I think it'd be a great thing um, for the league, just even even kind of going after that that NCAA vibe, or you know the the bowl season hmm. schedule, and you know how they kind of make matchups and pin matchups like that. Um, I, I think that's definitely got to kind of be packaged with TV as well. You would get, definitely have to get those games on TV, um, you know, to make them worthwhile and, and bring back, um, you know, just having more. More cameras on, you know, on the OUA. I think there's a lot, or not just the OUA, but the CIS in general. I think there's so many great athletes, and it's a very, very exciting um, brand of football. Um, and something that really drew me, you know, out to Ontario from playing junior was to, you know, because of all that stuff that I saw and I watched every Saturday, and it was really, really exciting and, um, and just great football to watch. So I think that would be a great thing for the league, and um, it would be really, really interesting to see, you know, where where power teams from each division. Um, stack up and you could you could let those other teams develop um, you know to try to make that and everyone has the goal of you know being ranked and, and being in the top 10 I think it would really be good for everyone um, obviously you know budgets would have to come from somewhere though yeah oh no I mean listen it, it's an idea that uh, that is you know pie in the sky right now because of those budget things yeah. but I agree I think it would be a really cool idea just a week after week that uh, you would get that NCAA vibe I can't remember which one of you said that maybe Danny but yeah, yeah you would have that for sure let's get to this year for a second Danny you you have a new head coach Greg Knox who again we now know 
loves to torture you guys by making you practice in a monsoon. Um, Greg Knox is in as head coach. Steph Potasic, as everyone knows, has gone on and is now the offensive coordinator with the Ticats. Steph was an offensive guy when he played. He was an offensive coach. Greg was a safety when he played. He has been a defensive coach. Does it change anything in how things are operated behind the scenes when you have a different positional guy now taking over the the realm of the whole thing? Oh, for sure, for sure. As soon as um, as soon as Knox came in, it kind of uh, you seen a change in the team, the way we uh, we play and stuff. And uh, we went to scrimmage against Guelph, and right before the scrimmage, he um, he always says they play tough, gritty football. And um, that's kind of like the mentality that the receivers are trying to uh, establish this year too. Is kind of take pride in more of the blocking, and um, and like um, running over kids, and not um, the more finesse side that um, Coach Potasic brought to the, uh, especially the receivers. But no, you can you can definitely get the sense that um, Coach Knox is trying to bring that grittiness to the team. Asher, most of your, I guess, almost all of your offense is back from last year. I mean, it- it kind of you would assume it goes without saying that that's going to be helpful to you that you know these guys now. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely some continuity uh, with the receivers, but also with the offensive line and and with the backs. Um, you know, not as many errors that that we'll be making just because we know each other. We know how to communicate. Uh, we're all speaking the same language and on the same page. So uh, we definitely have weapons all over the field and, and the offensive line to back it. So. Um, you know, if things are running smoothly for us, uh, we can put up a lot of points. Now, the only guy on the offensive line that really changed from the starters was your left tackle, and anyone who watched the blind side now knows that they are an expert on left tackles. Um, so uh, does that movie overstate the importance of that position for you, or um, with a new person there, do you uh, keep one eye out the side of your head now to make sure you don't get killed? <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, we have a, a gentleman by the name of Kyle Martins stepping in. Um, he's going to be going into his third year now, I believe, and uh, he he had some experience at a prep school um, down south, and um, he's a kid who's ready to play, right? So Sean, Sean Smith was a was a guy who was a you know an all star caliber tackle. Um, it's going to be tough losing that guy, and you know tough off the field too because he's a, a good friend of mine, but. Um, Kyle Martins is a kid who's who's ready ready to play right now, and uh, he's going to get better and better as the season goes on. So I'm you know really looking forward to to see his growth. Danny, this is your draft year for the CFL, and I know that that is something that um, that interests you. The idea that you could have a CFL team call your name and you could perhaps pursue a career that way that that does that change anything for you as far as uh, nerves, preparation, intensity. I mean, does anything change in your game when you know that now it's your year to carve out your spot perhaps in the CFL? Oh, for sure. For sure. You kind of take on um, the game a little differently. Coming in first year, you kind of um, think you're going to play CIS football for five years and then time flies and now you're looking in your fourth year and you're going to draft year. So you kind of learn now in your later years of uh, CIS football that you try and cherish them. So um, you really only have five years to play, so um, you try to make the most out of it. So as many championships, as many Yates Cups we can get to is kind of the goal right now. So it's exciting for me, but um, I would like to, if this if this was, um, if everything goes well and this is my last year, it would be nice to uh, to go out a Yates Cup champion for sure. Does it help, though, that you've seen guys that you've played with latch on and land with CFL teams so that you know that it's actually possible? Oh, for sure, for sure, from players on our team alone, like Wayne, Declan, um, 
that were able to that that did really well at McMaster and were able to go to the next level and stay. Um, it really motivates me. And I'm just seeing them in the gym and on the field how they work. Um, kind of get that work ethic so you know what it takes to uh, play the next level. Asher, I almost hate to ask the same question to you because we know what the history of Canadian quarterbacks in the CFL is, which is, well, I mean, which is honestly a shame because uh, there have been some great guys that have come out. I mean, a guy who was a couple of years before you, Kyle. I mean, a lot of people thought that Kyle Quinlan might be a player who could uh, take a stab at that. What about that position? What about that for you? I mean, do you do you at all harbor dreams that you could somehow make it, or do you? Say well, no the Canadian quarterbacks who are playing CIS football just don't get the chance. I'm I'm going to find something else to do. Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I am very optimistic. Um, I think you know being drafted would be you know an incredible experience um, and something that I would you know really really cherish and put my all into. Um, but I mean, if my name doesn't get called on draft day, um, I will not be devastated. Uh, you know, I know there's a plan for me. And um, I'll be fine either way, but um, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to go out there and, and put together the best season um, for my team that I possibly can, and uh, and go through the draft process. Um, you know, if the CFL wants me to do that, and I'll put my all into it, and we'll see where that gets me. Um, and I'll be fine either way. Have Danny? Have, has anybody around the team either? Players or coaches or anyone else? Has it come up much or at all? that this year Hamilton is hosting the Vanier Cup? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, we talk about it in the locker room all the time, um, how great it would be to have experience to, um, to play in the hometown um, for a Vanier Cup. It would be an experience that would um, that'd be amazing. Um, yeah, you, you, hear, you hear it from the players and the coaches. Um, the coaches not as much, but, yeah, that would be an exciting experience, though, just having just the home crowd um, the biggest um, championship in football. Did either of you watch the Vanier Cup that Mac played against Laval, the second one at Rogers Center when there were 33,000 people and most of them were Mac fans? Did you either of you watch that on TV? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I watched that one on TV. I watched the yeah. 2011 one, and that one kind of got me hooked as, as being a, a McMaster fan, and then I followed pretty religiously in 2012 and uh, watched that one on, on TV, and I actually watched that I watched that on YouTube a couple of days ago. Oh, really? But, uh, yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it really does give a sense of what a home Vanier Cup could be like. Yeah, yeah. It could be. It could be amazing. It would really be, um, you know, an experience that you'd remember for the rest of your life, and it really, uh, really packs a solid brotherhood together. You know, of guys in a locker room, guys like Danny and myself, who um, this could be our last ever year um, as a Marauder. Uh, once you, you you know you have an experience like that together, um, it goes down forever. Well, I know the organizing committee would love it if you guys could make it in because they would guarantee a sellout and make some money on that game for sure. Um, just before I let you guys go, I know you're both team guys. I know you're both going to give me an answer that relates to the team, and I believe you, and I know that that's coming. But I'm going to ask you to pass on that for a second because you both have, as I said off the top, you both set some amazing records. If there was a record that's still out there that you could get... Asher, I'll start with you. If there was one that you could get, what would you want to get? What would be the record that you would want to hold? Oh, is is wins in a season possible? <laughs> See, I told I you mean, you'd do a team thing. Yeah, defeated, so. <laughs> that, that would be. I mean, um, oh 
Is oh, there man. is there an individual record that a quarterback that any quarterback would particularly relish, whether it's completion percentage or touchdowns or whatever? Is there one that stands out that a quarterback would love to have? I think um, you know, other than touchdowns, I think um, you know touchdowns just because you know the more points you're putting up, the more you're probably helping your team win. Um, I think completion percentage, even for myself, getting the OUA completion percentage uh, record last year. That was one that, um, you know, as a, as a quarterback fan, um, you know, made me happy just because, you know, if you're completing a lot of balls, that means you're, you're understanding the game and you're, you're making the right reads and, and making the right decisions, um, which ultimately is, you know, going to keep balls off the turf and keep the sticks moving for your offense um, and, and give your team a chance to win. Danny, what about you? What would be, and again, I know it's a team thing, but individually, if you could have one record, what would it be? Um, I'd have to say... Um, the receiving touchdowns record. Um, it'd be the biggest honor to be up there with um, with Coach Fantastic, who actually I think um, is second, and then Andy Fantuz is first. So that'd be an amazing um, group to be considered with, um, to be up there with Coach Fantastic, who I uh, think very highly of, and Andy Fantuz is still playing the CFL. So, yeah, if I had to choose, it'd probably be the um, touchdown record. Um, but I think Fantuz is um, pretty high up right now, so I don't know if that's... Um... Yeah, you might need Asher to throw you a few extra balls this year. <laughs> if you, When you get close, when you get close, just start telling them, Fantuz, Fantuz. In the huddle, just keep saying Fantuz. <laughs> Listen, uh, both guys, you guys, uh, McMaster kicks off against Carlton, 7 o'clock Sunday. I understand there are some tickets available if people want to get them. They can go to marauders.ca. Uh, again, Carlton, Sunday night, 7 o'clock. Guys, really appreciate the time and good luck this year. Hope, uh, hope that we are talking about a McMaster appearance in the Vanier Cup. That would be sensational this year. Good luck. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. That is uh, Asher Hastings and Danny Vandervoort, two guys that... Danny Vandervoort is going to be in the CFL. I, I mean, I, there's there's no way around that. Danny Vandervoort is going to get there. He's a big kid. He's an athletic kid. He's a great receiver. Asher Hastings, I don't know if he's going to be in the CFL, and it's got nothing to do with his ability. He's a tremendous, tremendous quarterback. But we, as I asked him, we know the history of Canadian university quarterbacks in the CFL. I don't know if someone is going to give him that opportunity. But man, if you like offensive football, last year, go look at the numbers that this team put up. They were putting up 50 plus points most weeks. And they now have another year and another year of experience. I have a feeling they are going to be lighting up the scoreboard this year. Uh, it will be fun to watch them. Sunday night, 7 o'clock, first game. You can also watch it on cable 14 if you are so inclined or be down at the park. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.